Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend. Did you have a great Thursday? I won't ask about yesterday. We're just gonna skip right past that. But I, I hope you had an incredible Thanksgiving with friends and family. My guess is that most, if not all of us, spent some time on Thursday seated around one of these, didn't you? That you spent some time chowing at the table with friends and family. In fact, Thanksgiving is one of my absolute favorite holidays. How many of you love Thanksgiving? Raise your hand if you love it. Come on. Who doesn't love a holiday where you don't have to work, they have football, and you get to eat some of the best food of the year, right? I love Thanksgiving, and uh, we had a full house. We had 20 people in our house. We had all of the good stuff, you know. We had the turkey. We had the mashed potatoes and gravy. We had the green beans. We had the yams. We had the cranberry sauce. Not the real kind, but the good kind. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? I, I, I've never really, I, I don't trust the kind of people that say, oh, I only eat real cranberries. I'm the kind of guy, I grew up on this, you cut it out of the can, it comes out in a perfect cylinder, wobbling around, slice it down, that's the perfect cranberry sauce, we all know that, right? And so I spent some time seated around the table, full house, full of people, and I think we all know this, that Thanksgiving is awesome, but it's not just about the food that's on the table, right? Because we could eat that any time of the year. We could make turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy. We could do that any time of the year. It's not about the food that's on the table. I think, would we all agree, it's about those who are around the table that really matter. It's about getting together with family, with friends, with loved ones, celebrating a day, being reminded about how important it is to be thankful for all that we have. I just, I really believe that times like Thanksgiving are so special because of what happens around the table, and I actually think that some of the most important moments of our lives happen around the table, right? I mean, we eat at a table. I was just saying, some of the most important moments of my life happen at a table. We eat at the table. In our family, sometimes we play cards at the table. Uh, think about the moments that, the deep conversations that you share. My guess is a lot of times they've happened around a table, the first date that you went on, right, with your, your special person probably happened at the table. I just, I think some of the most important moments in our entire lives happen at the table. You know what else I, I think of when I think of the table? I think of the church. In many ways, um, for me, I, I kind of see the church is like a table. Why do I say that? Because there's so much language in scripture that leads us to see the church like a table. What is the church serving? The church is serving the greatest meal on earth, and it's not turkey and mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce, but it is the bread of life, Jesus himself. Jesus is the greatest meal. Jesus said, anybody who's hungry comes to me and eats of me will never go hungry again. He's the bread of life. The greatest meal is being served at the table called the church, and it is heavenly carbs that does not put pounds on you. Amen. I also think about what happens at the table that, that some of the greatest community of our lives happens in the church, doesn't it? I, I, my greatest friends are in the church. The people I experience and do life with, can I just tell you, are in the church. In many ways for me, the church is much like 
a table. In fact, um, it should be no surprise to any of us that Jesus describes heaven like a wedding banquet. Jesus says when we get to heaven, we are invited to a party, like a wedding reception where there's going to be incredible food, there's going to be people, there's going to be dancing, there's going to, I mean, it is going to be a party that you want to be at. He describes heaven like almost the very first thing we're doing is that we're going to be seated at the table. And so I can kind of see that the church is like the table. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been talking about the church. We're ending our year just really asking this question, what is the church? Maybe asking us to say, you know, why do I go to church? Why do I go to this church? What's the heartbeat? What was the purpose behind the church? And here's what I hope you get from this entire series is that you don't go to church But if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the church. That you don't just come and sit and attend in a church building and then leave and that's it. But I hope you see yourself as part of a movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago that is still happening in the earth today. It is the only movement that still exists today for thousands of years. And I hope you and I, we capture the heartbeat that Jesus had for the church. And so today, I want to talk about I want to talk about your seat and my seat at the table. I I want to talk about what it means to be a part of the church, the seat that we have at the table. You know, one time Jesus was invited to a a dinner party. It's a real prominent religious leader known as a Pharisee. One time Jesus was invited over to his house, and it was the who's who of what's at this party, it was all of the biggest influencers. It was all of the religious elite that showed up at this dinner banquet, this luncheon at this Pharisee's house. And in fact, we find his story in Luke chapter 14, and I wanna, I wanna read a, a portion from it today. In fact, that's where we're gonna be if you brought a Bible and you like to follow along. But Jesus is invited to this party, and the story tells us in Luke 14 that he's kind of like a fly on the wall. He's there and he's observing. And he's watching all of these people fight, like, for the best seat in the house. Back in that day, by the way, you know, it's different than it is in our culture today. In our culture, the best seat in the house is where? It's at the head of the table. It's it's on the end. Do you know, in their culture, the most important person sat in the middle of the table, and the least important person was on the outside? And so Jesus is watching all of these people fight for the best seat in the house. And it's in this moment where everybody wants the place of honor. Everybody wants the best seat that Jesus speaks into the situation. He drops this thought. Let me me read this to you. In Luke chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, it says, he says, When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. No, 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 don't do that. He says this, what if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? Oh, that's going to be so embarrassing. Because the host will come and say, oh, get up, dude. Give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed, and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. I love this whole entire moment. Jesus is just, he's, he's making this entire dinner party awkward. This is what Jesus loved to do. And then he ends this thought, with this thought in verse 11. 
He said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. Don't fight for the best seat in the house. Take the lowest seat. Don't fight for the biggest title. Don't fight for the most prominent position. But here's what you and I should do. We should take the seat that is the lowest. If you will humble yourself, then God will exalt you. This is a truth that we discover in this moment. I can only picture as everybody's been fighting for the best seat and Jesus speaks up that the whole room, it gets really uncomfortable. I mean, just really awkward. If you think that's bad, Jesus goes for the jugular. He just, oh, Jesus was great at creating tension in a room and then just sticking the knife in a little bit deeper. He turns to the host of the party. Remember the guy that invited him? Imagine the person that invited you over to their house. Here's what he says in verse 12. He says this. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, I appreciate you invited me. He said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors. For they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. What does he say? Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, I imagine at this point, the Pharisee that invited him is rethinking his life choices. I mean, Jesus just turned and looked right at him. He's like, oh, when you throw a party, look, I see who's in the room. I see it's all of your closest friends. I see it's all the religious elite. I see that it's your rich neighbors. I see that you've kind of snubbed one group of people in humanity, but you've invited the one people that could do for you. And what have we been learning, even last week, that true generosity is when you do for others that they can't do back for you. That is the deepest form of love there is, is there not? That's the deepest form of generosity. And it's almost like Jesus is trying to put this thought in their heads. Don't just surround yourself with people like you or people you like. Can I say that again? Don't just surround yourself with people like you or people you like. It's it's easy for us to do that, isn't it? It's easy for us, but can I tell you, if there's something I want you to hear, whether you're brand new, never been to church before, wondering what this this whole thing is about, can I just tell you the beauty of the church and the community is that it is a place where everyone gets a seat at the table. There's something about the church that it's like, it is available and open, ready for anybody to come, amen? Come on, are you with me? I I wrote something down and I wanted to read it because as I was writing, I I wrote this and some thoughts just came to me about what the church is and I want to read it and I want to remind us in this series why we are the church that we are, why why we view people, all humanity, the way we view them. What, What is the heart of the church? I believe postured after Jesus, I wrote these words. We are the church when we welcome you, if you are rich or poor, successful or struggling, whole or broken, clean past or criminal record, black, brown or white, Republican or Democrat, highly educated or illiterate, physically able or disabled, white collar exec or blue collar labor, greedy or generous, gay or straight, believer or skeptic, convinced or doubter, young or old. 
This is the church. The church is a table. It is meant for everyone. We will be a community that expresses the posture Jesus took on the cross. Arms open wide for all humanity. And it is my prayer that we will continue to become a diverse community that reflects God's heart for all humanity. I don't only want to be a part of a church where everyone looks like me, everyone thinks like me, and votes like me. I don't want to be a part of that church. Maybe you do, but I don't. I want to be a part of a church that opens its arms to everyone, regardless. Why? Because that was the heart of Jesus. Jesus went after everyone. He died not just for Israel, for all of humanity. And I'm here to tell you, if you only surround yourself with yourself, you'll eventually become full of yourself. If you only surround yourself with yourself, you'll eventually become full of yourself. And here's the concern when some of you, this might have even triggered you. Here's the concern that some of us have when we hear that, well, wait, wait. If we're a church that welcomes everyone, what about those who, who come and are part of the church and are living in sin? This has long been the posture of the church that somehow that the church is supposed to be a place for perfect people. The church is a place for people who aren't struggling with sin. You know what we really mean is, what if other people come into this church that struggle with a sin that I don't struggle with? That's what we really mean when we say that because here's what scripture says all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none who are righteous, no, not one. The only righteous one is Jesus. All of us have baggage. All of us have sin. All of us continue to wrestle with sin. That is the journey of faith. It is a fight with it, and there's this fear. What about people coming with sin? Do you know what my perspective is? may not be yours. My perspective is this. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. It's my job to teach the truth through the word of God, and it's all of our job to respond to the truth when we are convicted with that sin. But other than that, it's my job to love you. It's my job to love you. It's your job to love each other. That's what the church is. And, and I can only imagine the tension. And maybe some of you have a tension. Like, whoa, 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 are we just a church that welcomes anybody? Yeah. We are. And I imagine the tension in the room, right, as Jesus was saying, you're only surrounding yourself with people like you. What about the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame? Because at the resurrection, you have already received your reward. And it's funny that I imagine the tension in the room, and there was a guy in the room that I think was getting so uncomfortable that he just blurted out something to try to cut the tension. He said this. He said from the back of the room, blessed is the man who gets to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Let's not talk about here right now. Let's just talk about heaven. Blessed is the man who gets to eat at the wedding feast, the feast in the kingdom of God. And the moment Jesus hears that, seeing a guy who's trying to deflect and trying to, Jesus says, all right, let's go there. And then Jesus shares a parable, a story. I want to read it to you. I just love Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've been turned off by the church. I apologize. But, but my guess is if you read about Jesus and his life, my guess is you'll love him. I love him. Jesus says this in verse 16. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. 
But they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field. I've got to inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pair of oxen, and I'm just dying to try them out. Please excuse me. And another one said, I just got married, and she won't let me come. That's, that's a different translation. Um, <clears throat> the servant returned and told his master what they had said, and his master was furious. And he said these words. He said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite, here it is again, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still more room at the table. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be what? So the house will be full. What a powerful picture of God's heart for heaven and all humanity. Do you know what God's greatest desire is? His greatest desire is he wants heaven full. God wants heaven full. You know what that means? He wants you there. He wants your family members there. He wants your neighbors there. He wants your friends there. He wants your Facebook friends there. He wants, he wants your coworkers. He wants your boss. Listen, he wants your enemies. He does. He, here's the thing we need to understand. This is God's heart for humanity. His heart is that all are invited to the party. God wants all of humanity because every single person is made in the image of God. Whether you agree with how they're living, whether you look anything like them, he died for them. He sent Jesus to die for them. You see, the price of that invitation is so big to God. And he wants everyone to respond to it. And his heart is broken. We see in this story when there are so many people that make up excuses of why they can't and won't respond to his invitation. There are some who are so obsessed with their possessions. I just bought land and I've got to go check it out. I just, I, I, I've got this stuff that just consumes my life and I'd rather give my time and energy to that than I would to you, God. It breaks God's heart when we cherish worldly possessions over the one who created the world. It breaks his heart. There are some who make excuses that is so wrapped up in their achievements, their job. I just bought some oxen. Those were work animals to go and plow the fields. And I'm trying to expand and I'm building a career. And they're so focused on their life and what they can build here on earth that they miss a greater invitation. Or there are some whose relationships with others have become their God. And here's why this matters so much to God. We've been learning this throughout this whole series. It's why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came with an invitation. With an invitation. I want to invite you to a, a table. I want to invite you to a party in heaven. And this is why it, it's so at the heart of our church to embrace our role, to, to help people. Because notice what the um, master does when all these people refuse his invitation. 
He turns to the servant. He says, go out into the streets. I, I want you to go find anybody and everybody. Who am I supposed to go find? You know what? Go find the poor. Go find the crippled. Go find the, lime, the, the lame. Go get the blind. Invite all of them and bring them to the party. I want them in my house. Now, now you need to understand, I think sometimes when we hear this, you know what we think? We think, Jesus must have been so charitable. There's something about Jesus that he just seems to be full of compassion and charity. And, and we see it that, okay, he, he loved those who were, who were down and out. And he loved those who were poor. And he loved those who were crippled. And those who couldn't walk. And those who had diseases. And those who were blind. That's not what they heard. You see, that's, that's the way we might see people who are struggling in our culture. Hey, they've been dealt a bad hand. Someone should care for them. Charity, compassion, all that's great. That's great. That's not what they would have heard. Do you know what they believed back in this day about people that were crippled, disabled, had disease, were blind? Do you know what they believed? They believe that the reason why you are that way is because you messed up. No, that's what they believed. The reason why that happened to you, this is what they believe. They believe it's the gods making everything right. It's karma giving you what you, that's what they believed, you know that? In fact, if you don't believe me, go this week and read John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, one time, Jesus' own disciples came to him and said, hey, this guy right here that's been blind since birth, whose fault is it? Is it his sin or his parents' sin that caused it? So when we hear the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, we think, oh, charity cases. But that's not what they would have heard. What they would have heard is, whoa, these people don't deserve a seat at the table. These are sinners these are people that have messed up. They should not be allowed to come to. That's why, that's why Jesus includes them in this story. Because they represent people that are, I want to say in our culture, spiritually blind. Spiritually hungry. They don't have real life. And one of the things that we really take seriously here in our church is what our mission is as the church. What, what, what did Jesus want us to do? We've been talking about it, our mission here at X Church. In fact, I've been, I've been trying to give it to you every week of this series. And so I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna, now here's the challenge. I'm gonna ask, did you memorize our mission statement? I, we're gonna try it. I'm not gonna have them stick it up yet, but we're gonna try it. And if you know what our mission is, if you've got this down, even if you don't mumble it a little bit, you'll get it, pick it up, okay? But I want you to say it out loud with me. Our mission at X Church is helping people. Okay, a lot of you got it. Now I'm gonna stick it up. For everyone that's new, the first time, like what did we all just say? This is what we believe our mission here at X Church is. It is, say it with me out loud, it is helping people get on the path to God. It's knowing that there are people in this world that he created that are separated from the Father. And the reason why Jesus came was to help all those who were lost find their way. And what we learned week one is that Jesus is the way, the only way.
to the Father in heaven. And so Jesus shares this beautiful story to illustrate God's heart as he sits at a, a dinner banquet where only the elite, only the righteous, only the rich were allowed to come. And Jesus says, that's not my heart. I ask you a question. In this parable, can you see God in this story? He's the master. Can you see God's heart in this story? Okay. Now let me ask you another question. Can you see you in this story? See, I, th I think whenever we read a parable, whenever you're reading the Bible, one of the things that I know I always do is I try to find myself in this story. I know they were speaking to people 2,000 years ago, but, but I believe that God's word is instructive and it's got application for me today. And so I'm always trying to read and go, okay, who am I in this story? You know what I know? I'm not the master. I, I know that. I'm trying to figure out who I am. I think we should do that every time we read a story that Jesus tells. But here's the unique thing I found about parables that Jesus tells is that sometimes I find that I can be some or all of the people in the parable depending on what season of my life. I want you to see that. You, you know the um, parable of the prodigal son? Probably most of you have heard it, right? Two, two brothers, two sons. One who's the wild child, one who's the bad one. Right, it says, give me my inheritance. I want to go live my life how I want to live it. And his father does, and he runs and off to a distant land, and he goes and spends it however he wants, living his life in what would be considered sin, and, and then eventually ends up broken because that's where sin will lead you. And one day he wakes up, comes to his senses, man, it was better back with my father. And so he humbles himself, goes back to the father, expecting that maybe he'll be scolded at the very least. And and what does he find? His father runs to him with open arms and wraps him up and throws a huge party for him. Again, a, a dinner party. He didn't expect that. And they're all celebrating, right? And then what happens is that his older brother, the one who'd been faithful, the one who'd always followed all the rules, the one who'd always did what the father wanted him to do, what does he do? He gets mad, he gets jealous. You're throwing a party for him but not me? You know, I, I was thinking about that story and go, I've been both of these guys. There's a time in my life where I ran from God, where I'm going to live my life, do what I want. I don't care what God thinks. I spent time doing that. Oh, I, I've done that. But thankfully, to the grace of God, I've also come back to the Father. And so I've been that guy. But guess what? I can also sometimes be the other brother who says, I do everything right, and you're going to show grace to him. But you, what about me, God? You see, I think it depends on the season. I was thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Here's a Jewish guy that gets beaten up, left for dead, and all of a sudden a church worker comes by. Someone in the church, ooh, I don't want to mess with that. That looks, that looks messy. Walks right by him. And then next thing comes a, a, a pastor. A pastor sees him broken and hurting. What is the pastor? Ooh, I've got other things to do. I've been that guy. I did last week, I just mentioned. I see a guy on the corner that's needy. I just drove right by. I've been that guy. And then a Samaritan, a guy that should hate him, sees him 
hurting and binds his wounds and carries them and pays for him. You know what? When I think about this story, I've been all of them. I've been the guy who's been hurting and broken and needs someone to care for him. I've been the guy who's passed by the guy who's hurting without even lifting a finger to help. And at times, I've been the one who sees someone in need and go and help. And so I think depending on the different places we are in life, we could be different people. So when Jesus um, tells this story, I can see that at times in my life, I think I've been the guy who was invited that made excuses. I'm too busy, and I got, I'm going my own way, I'm doing my own thing. I can be like the ones in the story who makes a lot of excuses. But then I also, I realize that something happens, it's about eternity. Something happens, we've been talking about this, when you say yes, right? Something happens when you say yes to Jesus, as broken as you are, as messed up as you are, doesn't matter. Something happens when we say yes to Jesus. What happens? Here's what happens. Your seat in heaven is saved. Isn't that cool? Is there anybody here that's grateful? No, no, like, that's a good place to clap because... The moment you say yes to Jesus by faith, you don't have to have it all figured out. You can still be broken, messed up, a messy life, still struggling with sin, still trying to deal with addictions. You say yes to Jesus, here's the coolest thing ever. Your seat in heaven is saved. I love that. It's reserved. There is a place with a name card in heaven that says Tim Moore on it. I love that. And here's the thing, though, right? And here's the beautiful thing about that, okay? It's saved in heaven. I love that. I love that. But here's what we also discover. Is that when you, when you say yes to Jesus, you get a new identity and a new purpose. We've been talking about that. Yeah. And so I want to give you a truth today. I want you to get this. And it's this truth. You're a guest until you say yes. I'm going to say it again. Some of you need to capture this in your spirit today. You're a guest until you say yes. You, you're the one who's been invited. You're the one that Jesus, the master, says, go out and invite them. You're a guest at the table in heaven. I mean, you've been invited, okay? But you're a guest until you say yes. What what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by this. That when you say yes to Jesus, okay, I want you to get this in in terms of the church. In heaven, you got a seat for you. Oh, that's so great. I love that. But listen, we aren't in heaven yet. Hello? We're not in heaven yet. And what I'm saying is the church, the vehicle that Jesus created to help people to be the, the, the ones, the community that would invite people, you need to understand something. The moment you say yes, you stop being a guest in the story and you start becoming the servant. You're a guest until you say yes. And yet sadly, if I could just say this, in the church... We've had this idea for a long time, especially in Western culture, that I go to church. 
that I find a place that serves my needs, has great things for the kids. And then I show up at church when I come on Sunday. And I pull up to the table that is the church that is serving the greatest meal from heaven, Jesus, the bread of life, every single weekend. And I just show up and I just, I just eat. I just, I show up and I eat and I eat and I eat a lot. But I think here's what I felt like God wanted us to see today. When it comes to the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're only a guest until you say yes. And if you show up and all you ever do is eat, but never exercise, what happens? You get fat. I probably ate more than 2,000 calories at my Thanksgiving meal alone. If all I ever do is eat, 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 but I never exercise, listen to me, I get spiritually fat. And so I think a lot of times when it comes to the church, we have this mindset that I just, I want to go and I want to I wanna find my seat in the church. What if the whole point of following Jesus isn't finding your seat? I mean, I mean, follow him and your spot is saved in heaven. That's good. We're not there yet. And I, and I think sometimes this idea of jockeying for the best seat, that's what Jesus is talking about in all of Luke 14. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. In fact, there was a moment one time when Jesus was with his disciples in Matthew 20. You can look this up later. I'll just tell you about it. In Matthew 20, there was uh, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John. They were brothers. Uh, they were called the sons of thunder, Jesus would have called them, because they were just ambitious and aggressive and always trying to, you know, do everything. And one day their mama came to Jesus with a request. She, I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you. Matthew 20. It says, then the mother of the Zebedees, that was, that was these boys' sons, they came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of Jesus. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, first of all, how funny is it that mommy had to come and ask? I'd have been so embarrassed if I was James and John unless they put her up to it. Maybe if you ask, he'll say yes. What did they want? We want the best seat in the house. When we get to heaven, Jesus, we want to sit next to you. If you're in the middle of the table, put one on the right and one on the left. See, that was the, in their culture, it was the middle of the table. We want to sit right by you. And Jesus is so kind when he responds to her. You know, by the way, the rest of the disciples, you can only imagine, they were so annoyed. They were getting angry. And Jesus just kindly to their mom says, you don't know what you're asking. You see, to get the seat of honor, you don't know what it takes. It takes real sacrifice. And he was talking about the kind of death that he would, he would die for the seat of honor that he would get. And then Jesus takes this moment with his disciples to teach them something. And he says these words in verse 25. He said, Jesus called them all together and he said, you know that the rulers... 
of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority. They want the best seat in the house. They want to be in charge. They want to, look at verse 26, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Boy, say that again, because I don't feel like we're going to say it that well. It must be your, you gotta, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you want the best seat, become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the son of man. Okay, here's Jesus. What did he do? We're going to try to mimic his life. The son of man did not come to be served, but to what? Everybody say it. But to? To serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And in heaven, I want you to see this, okay? We're going to be seated at the table. But before then, Jesus, what did he do? He left heaven and he came to earth. And he took on the nature of a what? Of a servant. This, this is so important. I want you to see this. This is Jesus. He's saying, I didn't come to sit. I came to serve. If we're going to follow Jesus, he says, I didn't come to sit. I came to serve. And there's a lot of people that want to, I come to church so I can I get the, a good seat. I take a seat. Here's what I think Jesus would, would rather us see. You can take a seat or you can take a towel. You can take a seat or you can take a towel. What what did Jesus say? I didn't come to sit. I came to serve. I I want us to recognize the the heart of Jesus because many of us, I'm not going to say all of us, many of us, if I say, do you follow Jesus? Many of us raise our hands. So I'm just asking, I'm just asking, do we understand the position that Jesus took? In our church, we have these seven core values, and one of our core values is is modeled after this picture, this story that we're learning of Jesus. What, what, What was Jesus? He was a servant leader, and we say around here, servant leadership is our position. I don't go for the high position, I'll go for the low position. Jesus said, you wanna be great? Take the towel. Don't take the, t- don't take the seat. Take the towel. Maybe, I'm just saying, maybe in this parable, in the story, if you don't know Jesus, can I just say, he's inviting you to be a guest. But the moment you say yes on earth, you stop being a guest. It's not about the seat, it's about the towel, amen? It's not about which seat do I get. And I feel like I need to say that because there's been a, a thing in, in the Christian culture for decades that the whole idea, get to church, I want the best seat in the house. It's so funny to me that we care about where we sit when we come to the church. But it has something that has existed in the church culture for decades, man. You could show up and you could be a first-time guest. You sit in the seat where somebody's been sitting for the last 10 years. Dude, she will give you the nasty eye the entire time. That's my seat. How dare you sit in my seat? Why do we care what seat we sit in when we come to church? Whether it's in the back or in the front, on the floor, why does it matter? If you're obsessed with where you sit when you come to church, it's because your heart is to come and get the best seat, not take a towel. And a lot of times we approach the church and Jesus with a self-centered perspective. What's in it for me? And I get that when you don't know him. 
That's why the church is a table. We've got a spot for you. We do. But I hope you hear this from my heart. The moment you say yes to Jesus, you're not a guest anymore. You grab the towel. And by the way, you don't, you don't maybe realize how much grabbing the towel might actually change your life. You know, we live in a culture that we're so obsessed with ourselves, and yet we've never been more broken. I've got anxiety. I've got struggles. I got issues. I couldn't serve somebody else. I got, I got, I got needs. I got. Do you know one of the things that might actually help you discover and find your needs met is the moment you take a posture of serving someone else? Believe it or not, it might be the antidote for our struggles. It really might be. In fact, I want to share a story with you of a lady in our church. Uh, her name is Julie and. Julie's known about her church for a long time. Her daughter came to our church years and years ago. She comes still. And uh, Julie had just gone through a lot of different things and finally decided, I think I need, to, I, need to, I need to find God in a real way and started coming to our church. And God just began to work in her life. And, in fact, this year during our baptism weekend this past um, August, uh, she decided to go public and she got baptized um, and it was just an exciting moment for her and for her daughter, Hope, who got to baptize her. And as she told us some of the things that really changed her life, I said, would you mind sharing that with our church? And so we sat down with Julie and asked her to share a little bit about her story. Take a look. Hi, my name is Julie. I've been attending X Church since 2018. I got married right out of high school. And attending church, I guess it really wasn't something that was a priority at the time. We got busy into activities. Those activities kind of took priority over our life. Went through a time that um, my husband and I divorced. And that was really hard went through deep, deep, deep depression. Just felt like I just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper as time went on. Finally, in 2018, I told myself that you are at your lowest point in your life right now. And you've got to do something to get out of that lowest point um, of your life. And so I, started attending regularly. You know, I always knew that there's a God and I always loved him, but I never loved him and knew that he loved me as well. Every time I would come to church and I just, I could feel something telling me, you, you need to do more. This isn't helping you grow. And as I was attending regularly, it was really, really easy to slip in and slip out. Started serving in kids and with the two-year-olds. And um, I just served like every two weeks for a while. And that was until COVID. Once we got to come back to church, I just told Morgan, I was like, 
just sign me up every week. I, I really love serving. Every Sunday I get to see those little cute faces and that's so special. When they come in and they, you know, give you a big hug or they're really happy to see you. I got more than just a purpose by being a servant leader. I've found freedom, hope, love, friends, community, just by serving every week. I'm such a different person and I am, I've, it, it saved me from a deep, deep, deep depression that I was living. I don't know what my future plans are, but God does. And he knows, you know, what's out there for me. I'm, I'm not sure, but you know, I'm walking with him. And I've experienced God in a fresh new way. And by serving, I wanted to give others the opportunity to do that. I think it's really special that I get to teach the kids about Jesus while their parents get to learn as well. It warms my heart that I can help these, these parents um, and they trust me with, the, with their kids. I want them to feel as special as I did. I love it. This message is it's really meant to be challenging to those of us that say we follow Jesus. And if you find a little bit in your face, I apologize. I'm just, just trying to share with you who Jesus is and the things that he said. And I think the question is, what do we do when we feel challenged? What do we do when we feel convicted by it? You can ignore it or you can respond. One of the things that we intentionally do in this church is try to create opportunities for you and me to take the towel, not just take a seat. And there are so many different ways that you can serve people inside the church and outside the church. And I believe that we're called to live a life of service. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow after me. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like taking a seat at the table. That sounds like grabbing the towel. I think about what Jesus did. One of the last acts of love that Jesus did for his disciple, what did he do? He got down on his knees and he washed their feet and dried them with a towel. And Jesus said, this is the new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And by doing this, the whole world will know that you're my disciples. This matters to Jesus, that we take the posture of a, of a servant. We try to create opportunities to do that in our community, to serve God and people who walk through these doors like Julie that need hope every single weekend. As she does and she serves in kids, I'm grateful that we have people that have a heart for the next generation. Parents, moms, and dads, you ought to be really grateful. In fact, can we just thank all the ones who teach our kids? Thank you. I just want to say thank you. I thank all of you who help middle school, high school. That's such a hard time 
in our life, in our journey, confused. As a parent, how grateful are you that there are people that will come alongside and love your teenager in the hardest time of their life? Man, I'm grateful for a community like this. But it doesn't happen. It's not supposed to happen with just a few. All of us. Do you know that um, we, we ran a, a, a little survey based on how many people come, that we can find out about that come through the doors of our church in about a three-month window because so many people cycle in and out, come a few times every month or every other month. And we found out that we had um, more than 2,500 unique people that come through our doors in the last 90 days. That's a lot of people to serve, to love, and to care for. And right now on our servant leader rosters, we have about 335. I know I'm, I'm grateful for every single one of them, but that's a little over 13% of the people who are in our church that actually serve on a roster. And I, I know this is a little direct, but I, I guess I wanted to ask the question, what excuse do you keep telling yourself for not serving others? Because the master said, there are people who are making excuses. I, I want to challenge you today. Look, if, even if it's once every other month, once a month, how can you step up and serve somebody in the church? We're going to make it super easy to do that. And I am very, very grateful for so many of you in this church. This church is what it is, not because of me, but because of you. And so I say with a grateful heart, this Thanksgiving weekend, thank you. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, I know today's word is maybe a bit challenging, and I pray that everyone in here would, God, receive it with grace. I don't, I don't say it to be direct or confrontational, but God, this is who I see you are. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And God, I, I want to have a servant's heart. I pray, God, in moments where I get selfish and I'm all about taking the seat, I pray, God, that I would be reminded to take the towel, that, God, I would have a heart of a servant. And I pray, God, that many today would respond to serve. Let's serve for Hope Day. Let's serve our community over and over on Sundays. God, I pray that you would speak to us today about what you want us to do, to follow you and be part of your church. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this church. And we praise your name today. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for his presence, his word? Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.